Welcome to the Newsmax Daily from Monday, January 29th, 2024. As we head into the final week of the first month of the new year, there are still 50 days until spring. And today is National Carnation Day, established in 1903 on the birthday of former President William McKinley, who always wore a carnation on his lapel and kept a vase or vase of carnations in his office. This came after McKinley's assassination in 1901. The day is sometimes called Red Carnation Day. And on the food calendar, today is National Corn Chip Day, which only goes back a couple of decades, but the history of the corn chip dates back to the 1930s when a guy named Elmer Doolin started manufacturing and selling corn chips in the United States. His company is now known as the Frito-Lay Company. So the two teams that most Americans outside of San Francisco and Kansas City fans didn't want to go to the Super Bowl are now headed to Las Vegas for the Super Bowl. If you watch the Kansas City-Baltimore game, then you know CBS should be ashamed of themselves. It was ridiculous. Not only did they show Taylor Swift after every good play and touchdown, but... At the end of the game, during the Lamar Hunt Trophy presentation, while the team's CEO, Clark Hunt, the son of the late Lamar Hunt, was speaking about his late father and mother, they were showing Taylor Swift in the middle of him speaking. If you've been listening to this podcast, I've told you the Taylor Swift crypto endorsement story more than one time. I have nothing against Taylor Swift. It's not her fault that the networks, especially CBS, constantly do this. But showing her while Phil Simms was breaking down the end of the game, number one, and then during the trophy presentation was not only ridiculous, but rude. So again, CBS should be ashamed of themselves. And topping the actual news headlines this Monday is the deaths of three U.S. service members killed in an attack on a U.S. military base near the Syrian border Sunday. More than 30 others have been wounded as well, and this shouldn't come as a surprise. Iranian-backed militants have launched more than 150 attacks on U.S. forces in Syria since the Israel-Hamas war started in October. I said and Syria, not necessarily in Syria. But we've talked about this for months. Last Monday, in fact, I started the podcast with the news of several U.S. service members being injured in Iraq. Now, dozens more have been injured, some seriously, according to a statement from the Pentagon, and three have been killed. This is former U.S. Ambassador Nikki Haley at a campaign event in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina yesterday. We lost three of our heroes today. And I will tell you the fact that we lost three and dozens were wounded after 160 attacks on our men and women in the military. It is absolutely shameful. It's a lot more than shameful. Meanwhile, Iran's mission to the United Nations said in a statement this morning that Tehran had no involvement in the attack that killed three U.S. service members in Jordan. Oh, okay. Well, I guess they didn't do it then. Here's more of what Haley had to say while campaigning over the weekend in her home state. He's won 32 delegates out of 1,215, and I've won 17 delegates. 
This is far from over. Former President Donald Trump issued a statement on the deadly drone attack on his truth social, saying the attack marks a horrible day for America. The former president campaigned in Nevada on Saturday. So virtually every poll has us crushing Crooked Joe in the general election, defeating, well, you saw the ones that came out today, one at six, one at seven, one at eight, and one at 11 in the swing states. Well, Nikki Haley, have you ever heard of her? I didn't know she was still campaigning. She's still, she's still campaigning? Oh, she was just endorsed by Liz Cheney. Can you believe it? If Liz Cheney ever endorsed me, I'd say, no, I don't want it. I don't want that. And there's a comparison graphic that they're going to put up on the screen, which is sort of interesting. But we're leading. We're beating everybody. We're beating her by a lot, but we're beating Biden. She can't beat Biden. The polls are showing the most recent polls because she doesn't have Republican support. You know what she doesn't have? She doesn't have MAGA. She doesn't have MAGA. There's no MAGA. The radical left Democrats want Nikki Haley because they know she's the easiest person to beat. And she will. She doesn't have Republican support. Nikki Haley supports a 23% national sales tax. And she wants to gut Medicare and Social Security, raising the retirement age of Social Security to, think of this, about 77, about 10 years, 12 years. Anybody in their 60s or 70s, would you like to say, I'm just about there, darling? You're 62 years old. I'm just about there, darling. But I see Nikki Haley wants to make it 10 years longer, despite being completely unelectable. And I believe she's unelectable. Nikki is a continuing, she's got a continuing plan in a shameless radical left craziness because she's basically a Democrat. She's almost a radical left Democrat, which is hard to win elections like that. But it's like they use it as a they use certain things as like a Trojan horse in the Republican primaries. Haley made a corrupt deal to sell out to the radical left, taking the Democrat money from donors and recruited all the votes in the primaries that you just saw. She got killed in both of them. You had Iowa, you had New Hampshire. She got absolutely beaten badly. And she tried to cancel out Republicans, and she sort of did. She only got 25% of the Republican vote in Iowa, where she came in a distant third. A distant third. Remember, we have Ron DeSantis. Now, I've, you know, I've terminated that other name. Right? They asked me. They said, they said, what about the sanctimonious? I said, no, I put that into retirement, that name. Is. So now I call him Ron DeSantis. But Ron DeSantis came in second. He didn't come. She came in third, a distant third. And he got out. And then she went to New Hampshire and she got slaughtered in New Hampshire, even though she had a lot of Democrats voting for her. Because in New Hampshire, they allowed Democrats and independents to vote. I said, this could be a little tough. And we still won by a lot, by a landslide, I guess. Sort of a landslide. Trump at a Commit to Caucus event in Nevada, which has a caucus and a primary coming up well before the South Carolina primary. I mentioned this last week. It's 
odd. I was going to say kind of odd. It's very odd. A primary and a caucus. Trump isn't on the primary ballot, but Haley isn't on the caucus ballot. And the caucus is where the delegates come from. So the primary essentially doesn't matter, and Trump will get the delegates from the caucus. This is Newsmax host Lydia Serrani on Sunday Agenda. Well, Nikki Haley, she has no path to victory. So why is she still in the race? Even ABC News wrote an article, not even an op-ed, that Trump is now on track to win all 56 primary contests. It also stated, quote, if Nikki couldn't win in New Hampshire, she can't win anywhere. So now let's ask another question. Why are the donors still giving her money? Take a look at this article from Bloomberg. She outraised Trump by $5 million. Quote, donors' interest in Haley has surged since Trump's threat. And that threat by Trump, by the way, was to cut people off who donate to Haley. This is all, you know, if you think about it, it's all very bizarre. Because even rich people, they don't like to lose their money. So what's really going on here? The swamp. It is banking on the idea that Trump's biggest adversary in this race is women. And you know what? Sometimes stereotypes, they can be true. I can say this because I am a woman. I, I don't need Katanji Brown Jan- Jackson to define it for me. Uh, some women will actually allow their emotions to override, override their sensibilities. Uh, you remember that astronaut that wore a diaper for like 20 plus hours just so she could go murder a romantic rival? We hear these type of stories all the time. Smart, educated women who make the most horrendous of decisions simply because of how they felt at the moment. It's why right now the Democrat propaganda machine, a.k.a. the legacy media, it's an overdrive to paint Trump as a rapist. It doesn't matter E. Jean Carroll can't even give the right year of the alleged assault or that there has been numerous inaccuracies in her testimony. Folks, this isn't about an actual crime. It's about a narrative perfectly constructed to hit at the gut of every um, overly emotional, low-information woman out there. And I get there early in the morning. I go to a Biden witch hunt. And then I come here in the afternoon and I stop and we make speeches and we get your votes and all that stuff. But nobody's ever had to do this before. Well, you know, people didn't do it before because usually candidates who judges say are rapists don't usually get this far. But what we found in Iowa a couple of nights ago was, well, Iowa Republicans that voted those 14 percent, they like their presidential candidates that are called rapists by judges, and they like their presidential candidates that steal nuclear secrets. And repeatedly defame women. Think about it. I mean, who would vote for a person that's a rapist? That's like one step above a pedophile, right? And the way Joe Scarborough, Mika Brzezinski, they just lie with impunity. I mean, as a as a veteran journalist myself, false accusations like that, false because Trump was never convicted, never mind. He wasn't even found liable of rape. It, it makes me really sick to my stomach, and it really makes a mockery of the First Amendment. And now that the Trump is in an in insurrectionist thing isn't really working, it's not resonating with voters, Trump is now a, a racist rapist who wants to control women. This is why the Biden machine, it's pushing abortion hard, because Biden, he can't run on his abysmal record. 
Lydia Serrani on Sunday Agenda. And while Donald Trump was in Nevada, Nikki Haley and Joe Biden were both campaigning in South Carolina. Friday's $83.3 million verdict in Trump's defamation lawsuit was the big talker over the weekend as well. New York Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, a member of the House Ways and Means Committee, spoke about it with Wake Up America Weekend Edition. Now, Congresswoman, I just wanted your reaction to that number. $83.3 million. I mean, I didn't know this woman had such a thriving career that, that this defamation caused her to lose millions upon millions of dollars. Yeah, I don't even know where she has any kind of income that would match that, which is what it's supposed to be. You're supposed to have some kind of relationship to what could have been lost by defamation, you know, the injury, the harm. And, you know, obviously, number one, I don't see how Donald Trump could actually get a fair trial in New York City because the media is 100 percent and 99.9 percent just insanely negative about him. And so that anyone who even picks up a newspaper has any access to media would already be predisposed to having a negative view of him. And and, and he's dead on arrival in front of a jury. Secondly, uh, this is just seems so out of proportion to any loss this woman could have sustained. And I, there's this, uh, you know, judges have discretion. It's called remitter. That means they can reduce an unfair or re- unreasonable jury verdict. But yet you've got judges in New York City who are also equally as biased. If you look at the judge in the uh, in the uh, case against Trump, uh, Erdogan, Erdogan or whatever his name is, it sounds almost like the Turkish president. Uh, but he's uh, he is also obviously very biased. His behavior is unbecoming of a judge, you know, obviously violating judicial conduct. But then again, you know, ju- this judge has a discretion. This is obviously on its face an absurd jury verdict and the punitive damages. And, and, and not to mention the First Amendment aspect of this, that, you know, Donald Trump can't speak openly about somebody. And, and where's the direct harm? It just seems there's a missing connection here in terms of legality. Congresswoman, do you agree with this notion that some of these judges have, and even jurors as well, have taken it upon themselves to be political activists in these cases against the former president? I do. And it's also just remember, you have Letitia James, who's the attorney general, who continues to foster and and ran on this negative. uh, I'm going to get Trump. You know, that's not a legitimate uh, campaign promise. And then many of these judges are, by the way, they're Supreme Court justices. My dad was, I think, the longest serving Supreme Court justice in New York state. uh, and, And you're elected to those positions. But you're elected by first you're appointed by a judicial convention which means the party leaders get to decide who their candidate is going to be. And in New York City, you're going to get a Democrat. There's no way a Republican is going to win a judicial seat in New York City. So they're already biased in terms of that. But yet once you ascend to the bench, you know, you have a judicial conduct commission that is supposed to govern you. But again, again, that's run by left wing lawyers in Albany and across the state. I'm a member of the bar. I understand this very well. So I think that the judges have to be held accountable as in just the Letitia James example. I mean, people keep calling this lawfare, which it is. I think it's abuse of process and it's a malicious prosecution cases. All of these, they're trying to disgorge President Trump of his assets to try to drag him through uh, all these court proceedings. And, and they're really just trying to hurt him while he's trying to run for president. So it's a clear case also of election interference. That's New York Congresswoman Claudia Tenney on Wake Up America Weekend Edition with Michael Grimm and Sarah Williamson. More on Friday's ruling from Greg Kelly. You're allowed in America to defend yourself, especially against false charges. 
But even somebody who knows in their heart they're guilty, they're allowed to defend themselves. Not anymore. This is insane, folks. It really is. And Elena Haba, she's a hero. The judge was giving her such a hard time. Ultimately, that judge will be judged very, very harshly. Here she is right after the verdict. We will immediately appeal. We will set aside that ridiculous jury. And I just want to remind you all of one thing. I will continue with President Trump to fight for everybody's First Amendment right to speak. Everybody's a right to defend themselves when they are wrongfully accused and to be able to say, I didn't do it. And to double and triple and quadruple down and say, this is wrong. This is wrong. But we are in the state of New York. We are in a New York jury, and that is why we are seeing these witch hunts, these hoaxes, as he calls them. And this is another one of them. Be brought in New York, in states where they know they will get juries like this. It will not deter us. We're fighting. And I assure you, we didn't win today, but we will. record that was made in there and the behavior I saw in there, some of which was reported widely today, gave us the most perfect record on appeal, and even if I needed it, which I don't. We were stripped of every defense, every single defense before we walked in there. And I am proud to stand with President Trump because he showed up, he stood up, he took the stand and he faced this judge. And you know what? I'll continue to do so with him. Good for her. Absolutely. And uh, all right. So I said, if you watch the fake news, uh, you won't know the elements of this case. But if you were on the jury, you wouldn't know some of the basic elements about E. Jean Carroll. That I'm sorry. This woman has serious, serious issues. The word rape carries so many sexual connotations. This was not, this was not sexual. It just, it, it hurt. It just, what, it just, you know. Well, I think most people think of rape as a, I mean, it is a violent assault. It is not. I think most people think of rape as being sexy. Mm-hmm. Let's take a short break. Think of the fantasies. Mm-hmm. We're just going to take a quick break. If you can stick around, we'll talk more on the other side. You're fascinating to talk to. She's having the time of her life. Um, the jury wasn't able to see that. The jury from last summer and the jury that came up with this insane verdict. They were not allowed. President Trump was not allowed to introduce this. Deemed irrelevant? How is that not <laughs> relevant? How about these tweets where she made some horrendously awful, disgusting observations about sex Men, women, herself, they are ugly, they are perverted, they are wrong, um, and they're relevant. Her views on sex and what is consensual and not consent, that is all perfectly and totally germane. Also, the fact that years after the alleged assault, she said she was a fan of The Apprentice. She actually loved watching The Apprentice. I'm a massive Apprentice fan. Jury wasn't allowed to see that. It would undermine her credibility, wouldn't it? At least suggest that there might be mm, another side to this story. (laughs) But he wasn't able to introduce that. That is Greg Kelly, host of Greg Kelly Reports, weeknights at 9 o'clock Eastern on Newsmax. And this morning, wouldn't you know it, E. Jean Carroll was on Good Morning America this morning making more unusual comments. I'd like to give the money to something Donald Trump hates. If it will cause him pain for me to give money to a certain 
to certain things. Considering there is going to be an appeal, I'm not sure how many of those appearances her attorney will allow her to do, but I imagine she'll get a lot of invitations. And the border battle between the state of Texas and the federal government will continue to dominate the news today and this week. This is from America Right Now on Newsmax with Tom Basile. For more reaction, we're going to bring in one of the governors who signed that pledge to stand with Texas. And he's also the governor of a border state, North Dakota governor and former presidential candidate Doug Burgum joins us. Governor, an honor to have you with us. Thank you so much. It is increasingly apparent that the Biden border policy hasn't just led to chaos, crime and lives lost. But now this real sort of constitutional crisis between the states and the federal government. How will you and the other governors defend the border in the absence? of strong federal enforcement. Well, Tom, great to be on with you. Uh, and this is a uh, constitutional crisis. We're, as you know, this is a, a mass invasion. I mean, we're talking about 8 million plus people. That's the equivalent of every man, woman and child in Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Rhode Island, Joe Biden's home state of Delaware, and then throw in Montana. Uh, just, in, just in December alone, the equivalent of New Orleans, the city of New Orleans, uh, 370,000 people came across that border. And then in addition to the mass invasion, we're taking mass casualties because we're losing 300 people a day in this country to overdose deaths. And 70% of those are, are fentanyl related. Right. Uh, in North Dakota, we've had, we've had troops down uh, on the Southern border uh, throughout my tenure as governor, uh, not only uh, supporting the states, but also we've had a uh, helicopter mission that went from San Diego to the Gulf Coast flying night missions in Lakota helicopters trying to stop transnational criminal organizations. Uh, this is, I've been a governor under President Trump and a governor under Biden. It is completely out of control under Joe Biden. I think America's realizing this. In 2016, this debate was about immigration. Right now it's about national security and it's about public safety. And so, of course, we stand with Governor Abbott because the federal government is really abdicating its responsibility. One of the federal government's responsibilities is national security. That includes border security. They're just not doing their job. Governor Abbott of Texas has made it very clear that he's not going to comply with the Supreme Court's recent ruling to remove the razor wire. He has said actually he's going to put more in. Uh, He said he will continue to defend his state from illegal immigration, even if the Biden administration won't. That's Tom Basile on America right now with North Dakota governor and former presidential candidate Doug Burgum. Back in Washington, Senate negotiators are indicating they're close to a deal on immigration that could cut down on illegal border crossings. And the House is moving forward with an impeachment of Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Should be a pretty interesting week on the Hill. And a convoy of truckers and motorcyclists are leaving Virginia Beach today, headed to the Texas border, Yuma, Arizona, and California in protest of illegals crossing the border. President Biden has no scheduled events on the White House calendar today after traveling to South Carolina over the weekend. So, you know, he's probably resting today. But with all that is happening right now, I would think I would think that we will hear something at some point from the president on Wall Street corporate earnings and the first jobs report of the new year, which will be out on Friday, will be the focus of the week for investors and traders there. The markets opened kind of flat this morning. No big moves in either direction. Oil was up quite a bit in the early hours after what happened in the Middle East. 
Make sure you keep it on Newsmax to keep up with all of the news all day. It's available on most major cable systems, and make sure you have the new Newsmax Plus. If you're not signed up yet, go to NewsmaxPlus.com, sign up for a free trial. That's NewsmaxPlus.com. It includes all of your favorite shows, hosts, great guest analysis, and much more. NewsmaxPlus.com. I'm Tony Marino. Thank you for listening to the Newsmax Daily. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Hopefully, we'll see you back here tomorrow. And keep on fighting the good fight. News breaks every minute, every day. You need the app, the Newsmax app. Find it free on your smartphone store. Then watch us anytime, anywhere.